0: I want to do. Uh, I want to do a little bit of stepping back in time, a whole week. Uh, last week we 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 celebrated Palm Sunday, where all of Jerusalem was, was just just ecstatic about the King coming in. He was riding in on a donkey, and their minds would have been brought back to uh, King Solomon being brought into town on a donkey as a king, and he was going to be anointed. And they were singing Hosanna! Blessed be the name, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They were just excited, and their their minds would have been thinking back to what we we talked about last week, and that was from Zechariah chapter nine. and And I want this to be in your head, because even this morning, this morning, um, there is reason to rejoice. There's reason to be excited. It's not just our, our once-of-a-year, oh, hey, it's Easter, we got to get pumped about this. This is a continuation that we are to have 365 days a week, every Sunday that we gather this excitement. So listen to this from Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having, salvation is he. Humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is, we, we look at this as Palm Sunday, back just a week, and we forget that today salvation has come fully. Christ has come, and he's, he's come with the resurrection this morning. And so we have permission again this morning to do what? rejoice greatly, and to, even if you dare, shout aloud. So permission has been granted, okay? Okay, thank you. All right, so this morning I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, page 981. Philippians chapter 3. And this morning we are going to be looking at uh, the Apostle Paul as he's Uh, talking to the church in Philippi and what he has to say to that church about the resurrection oh, oh, I'm sorry and while we're turning to that page let's dismiss the children I just get so excited so you can follow Miss, uh, Miss Laura to the back and by the way, you don't want to miss out many of you adults would probably much rather be with Laura as she has a party in the back Oh claire it's going to be a blast today it's going to be fun all right philippians chapter three starting at verse two look out for the dogs look out for the evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh for we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh though so I myself have every reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has more reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You hear kind of throwing it out there? Bring it on. If anyone has thinks he has more confidence for the flesh confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews as to the law a pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless but whatever gain i had whatever gain i had i counted as lost for the sake of christ indeed i count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord in his suffering, and become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're a quarter of the way through the year, and what that really means for us this morning is that it's time for those of you who are foolish enough to make uh, New Year's resolutions to look at your New Year's resolutions. Um... How many of you can honestly say that you have fully attained all your resolutions? How many of you made resolutions? No one? Are you serious? Jen, what was yours? And you failed miserably? You've done it? Good. Okay. (laughs) Anybody else? Did anybody else have resolutions or have you made them in the past? Give me an example. Quit smoking. How you doing? Terrible. You know, so we we make these resolutions and we quickly forget, you know, because they seem like really good things, right? Like, ah, you know, I resolve to do this. You know, maybe this year I'm going to be good at birthday cards or remembering people's names or I'm going to really be good about watching my finances this year. Maybe I can lose a little weight around this area right kind of here. Yeah, that too. <laughs> you know, we, we, got all, we make these resolutions, and then about a month in, we kind of go, what? What was my resolution? What did I resolve to do? And then six months in, you go, I don't even remember if I made a resolution. And then you get to the end of the year, and you go, i got to start thinking about what I'm going to resolve to do, but in reality, I'm never going to do in the, in the first place. So why should I even make a resolution? Well, there's, there's one guy that I love. This is, his name is Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards, um, one of the things that he did is he wrote 70 resolutions. And this guy was psychotic about his, his resolutions. Uh, whenever he would write um, in his books, he would kind of cross-reference his resolutions. So he'd point back to this resolution, then he'd point to this resolution. He'd say, and about resolution. What I resolved in number 15. Or resolved about this. He was really crazy about his resolution. Here, here's, here's number 6. Resolve. To live with all my might. While I do live. I, that, that's a good resolution, right? While I'm living, I'm going to live with all my might. That's a great resolution. Another one. Number 18. To live so at all times, as I think is best, in my most devout frames, and when I have the clearest notions of the things of the gospel and of another world. Just to live clearly and pointedly. This is how I'm, I'm resolved to live this way. In the most devout way, in the most clear way, in light of the gospel, this is how I'm going to live. Another one. To examine carefully, and constantly what that one thing is in me is which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and so direct all my forces against it so he's basically saying if there is one thing in my life one area in my life that is just causing me to doubt the love of God whether it's pain whether it's suffering whether it's this or that i resolve to work against that very thing so that I can fully the love of Christ. I just, I'm resolved to fight against that thing that sucks the joy from my life. Fighting against it. Great resolution. And the next one, 52. I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live. And you, you know what I'm talking about? If I was a kid again, I would. You know, they kind of have that, that voice comes out, and that's not Pat. This is, this is, you know, and I hear myself, man, if I was in your shoes, you know what I would do again? We all get to that point, but he goes on to say, if they were to live their lives over again, he constantly hears this, resolve, that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done. Supposing I live So he's resolving to just say, listen, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to live a life of regrets. I'm going to live fully today. Today, Paul is talking about what it is that he resolves to do. And for us, pursuing delight in God is not something that we should be doing half-heartedly. Pursuing God and delight in him finding full joy in Him is something that we do with all of our hearts, with all of our strength, all of our everything that we have, we have got to be resolved to pursue Him fully and live in the full joy of Jesus Christ. Everything that we do. And we do this because we have, we realize what truly is at stake. So our focus this morning is really going to be on Philippians 3.10 where, where Paul says this that I may know him and the power of his resurrection that I may know him and the power of this res- of his resurrection. resurrection and there are obviously four statements that are going on here that I may know him and the power of the resurrection that he may share in his suffering and become like him and become like him in his death Paul is writing here to the saints in Philippi. And Philippi was named after, does anybody know? It was named after Alexander the Great, after his father, Philip. So it it is a town that Alexander the Great came in, conquered, demolished, and said, I am renaming this town. I have destroyed everybody. I brought everybody under my rule. You are subject to my rule. And my reign, you are my first crown in my empire. And we're told that this is a really important birthplace for the Roman Empire because a battle was fought here and won here. But Paul is considering in this epistle something infinitely greater, far more greater than any perishing empire of man. For me, as as I'm reading through this, And you've got to kind of get into Paul's Paul's head. Paul is getting old. He's getting towards the end of his life. He's battle-scarred. He's worn. But you've got to notice in his prayer that his aspirations never die. His vision doesn't ever become dim or, ah, well, maybe I better rethink this. His, His spirit never got dull in any way. You don't hear in his, in his prayer, in his, his writings, that he'd be released from prison, though he might have done that. He doesn't even pray that he might have a ministry right there, though I'm sure he, he does and, and he aspires to. He doesn't even pray that his body is healed. His first aspiration, his first desire, his greatest thing is that he may know Christ fully. That is his greatest drive know Jesus Christ with all his being. To know him fully. That I may know him. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And something that we have got to understand is that the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the standard Power. Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the standard power for the New Testament people, of which we are part of. Jesus Christ's resurrection is a standard for power. It's not what what the Roman Empire could do. It's not what you can accomplish with your hands. It's not the it's not even what we as a church are doing. That is not even. Barely a blip on the radar. The, the standard for power is Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And that is the miracle of all miracles. The proof, the standard of God's power is Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. The standard of God's power in the Old Testament was the deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea and bringing them to the land of promise. The Old Testament, the miracle that God performed, the the pinnacle in the Old Testament was God rescued his people. He brought them out of captivity and brought them to a new land. He brought them out of death in Egypt and he brought them to life in the promised land. The most conservative low number of the number of people being brought out of Egypt is 7,000. The highest number is 2 million. Let's just go with 7,000. Literally, you could take it for about, it said about 200,000 people left Egypt. But let's just go with 7,000. 7,000 people were delivered out of Egypt. All these people, Legs, all these things. God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and the last, you know, the last plague, the death of the firstborn son. Finally, Pharaoh said, Get out of here, get out of Dodge. Get out. His whole slave labor system was gone. And as they were going, the people were going, Alright, we're going to the promised land. Here we go. Let's get excited. And all of a sudden they looked behind him, and what happened? Pharaoh. And what do they immediately start doing? you got to be kidding me. We, we had it so, so much better over there. What, why'd you take us out of here? You, you, are you crazy? We told you we'd much rather be doing this. We'd much rather be doing that. They start grumbling immediately. And Pharaoh's going, I've got these guys. I've taken them back. And Moses is going, oh no. There's a greater one who is going to deliver you. Why? God said, your staff, touch the water, and watch it. 7,000 people, half of Mokina, traveled through the Red Sea, on dry land, got to the other side, and boom. All Pharaoh's army was wiped out. Miriam sings a song on the other side, praising God for how he has delivered them and then God brings all the way to the promised land. It took them a while because they started grumbling and moaning and groaning and they had to take a little bit of a journey, a little bit of a detour but God saved them. 7,000 people. Now let's go 2 million. If you go the high number, 7,000, 2 million it is a miracle God took people who were in bondage, they were fettered, they were slaves sound like people we know? Sounds like Paul Vroom. You are, you are better to your old life. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ. God has brought you, oh, where you should have died in, in, that, in that sea. He preserved you through that and brought you up and out of that place and given you life. That was the Old Testament. But God had a better plan. Constantly, the Old Testament writers would constantly be pointing back. Look at what God has done. He has delivered you, Israel. He has delivered you. Pointing back to that crossing. God giving you life. He has brought you out to this. And there is power in that. He delivered them. He brought them out of captivity. He snapped their fetters off like that. He led them by his own hand and his own arm. But the New Testament standard of power is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there's also the resurrection of the individual, of us from the dead. We're told in Ephesians 2, you were dead you were dead he doesn't say we will die he says that we were dead and did you note that the same power I'll get there in a little bit Calvary what happened on the cross is the expression of the love of God. God so loved the world that we've got it all Well Give it to you. Or, God so loved the world that he That's an expression of love from the church. An appreciation. God so loved the world that he gave. What happened on the cross is an expression of God's love. It's an expression of God's love but here the resurrection explains the power of God you, you think about this this epistle that Paul has written and he's got an amazing track record Paul has raised the dead he's opened the eyes of blind people he has cast out demons he's written more epistles than any of all the other men put together and yet, what does he say? He says, I want to know him. It's not that he doesn't know Jesus Christ. He says that he wants a more full revelation of who he is. So there is, there is something in this word resurrection that we have just not yet fully fathomed yet. We are dead people. Once a year we we dress in in really light kind of greens and pinks and purples and really nice. Well, I do at least. The rest of you are in black. But, you know, we have permission once a year to dress really light and springy and celebrate. We we bring out the hams and we have rabbits that lay eggs and we eat those eggs. We celebrate this once a year. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I want, listen, I am resolved. I was a dead man, and I want, to un- I want to know Christ. And I want to know all of him. I want to understand, I want to plummet the depths of who Christ is and what he has done. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know the power, understand the power of the resurrection that raised Christ from the dead that transformed this whole world. We want to get to that. Because there is no other religion in the world that has a resurrection. This is the crowning miracle of God. And I'm not sure that we get that. We are cross-centered people. Thanks be to God. We understand what happened on the on the cross. You might not understand all the worlds the words like penal substitutionary atonement or propitiation. Some of you are already going, You're right, I have no clue what you're talking about. Jesus died on the cross. We understand that that Jesus died on the cross, cross and he bore the wrath of God by taking on all the sins of humanity we understand that we talk about that i need to die to myself yeah i need to die i need to die my my wants my needs my desires oh jesus i I need to die i'm selfish i'm greedy i i need to put to death this area i need to put to death this area we need to put to death this area we need to oh man i could keep listing all the things that i struggle with and jesus came to die for that sin but if we stop there we miss it and paul says I want to understand Christ. I want to know him deeply. And I want to know about the power of the resurrection. And this power of the resurrection. If you read through the book of Acts, they talk more about the resurrection of Christ than the cross. They were resurrection people. They were marked by new life. They were resurrection people. And even Paul says, listen, I've given you, in all my writing, I've talked about the mercy of God, I've talked about the majesty of God, I've talked about that that slippery thing called predestination and election, nobody really wants to talk about. I've given you, talked about the future. But everything balances on the resurrection. Everything balances on that point of the resurrection. For if there was no resurrection, you are still dead in your sins. And then you hear the voice of Jesus where he says, Listen, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection of the life. And so often we get caught up in just this one little picture of Jesus on the cross dying for our sins. But Jesus says, listen I am the resurrection of life. And the amazing thing is is this very thing. The resurrection isn't a part of our theology. The resurrection is a person. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And the fun thing for me is that when I am born again by the power of the Spirit, I am found in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ, in the very one who is the resurrection and the life. Now, start unpacking that. If my life is hidden in Christ, I'm, in, I'm engrafted into him, and he is the resurrection and the life. What does that mean? There are so many implications. Ephesians 2 goes on to say that we have been made alive together with Christ. We are raised up with him. We're made alive. But yet so much of our Christian life is kind of dead. So much of our worship, uh, the vibrancy is just Bible study, of a moment of prayer when I got an exam. Was, stuff is rough. But Jesus says, listen, I am the resurrection, and I am the Lord. I, I'm, I'm it. And so, you are born again, you are brought to life, and there is power there. And think about what happened at the resurrection. Death had no, had nothing on Jesus. He broke through the death barrier, came to life, conquered sin, conquered death. And what does that mean for us? In our life, sin is conquered. Our spiritual death is done. We are to be people of tremendous joy. So when we we hear zachariah say rejoice greatly shout aloud we go "Uh uh-huh that's right preach it again because i know what that means i have every reason to rejoice greatly with all my life i have every reason whether it in public or in private to shout aloud and say thanks be to god amen again paul one more time say that again you preach it oh i feel it i know that's true because he is he i am alive in christ he has brought me out of my death, out of my sorrow, out of my funk, out of the, this miry muck that I'm in, that I was in, and what? I am alive in Christ. Death, Satan, sin, you have no hold on me anymore. For I am alive in Christ. Satan, when you whisper these lies in my ear that I am nothing, that I can never accomplish anything, Satan, that is dead. I am alive in Christ. Church, you think you have no witness in this community? Lie. Because church, you are alive in Christ. Live into that. And be like Paul to say, listen, I want to know my Savior. I want to know Him deeply. I want to plummet the depths of Christ's love and discover the power of the resurrection have resurrection lives today and look what happened to the early church the moment that they discovered that Christ was alive think about his ascension He was going away, and the angels go, okay. Show's over down here. He's gone. But he's promising something great. Promise of the Holy Spirit. So make sure you show up for that. Because it's going to come in power. And it's going to give you strength. It's going to lead you and guide you. This Holy Spirit is powerful. Ah, the Spirit of Christ is going to dwell within you. And you are going to realize the power of Christ. That is found in the resurrection. Oh, church, get that. And then you see Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit is poured out on his people. The whole room does what? It shakes. There's a tremendous amount of power that's found in there. Peter goes out and preaches that first Pentecost sermon. And what happens? 3,000 dead people were what? Brought to life. One sermon from a fisherman. The religious people of the day looked at them and said, I am just amazed. These are common men. Unschooled. The Greek has the word is idiotic. Unschooled. Idiotic. But they didn't. They understand Christ and the power of the resurrection. Death, church, death has no dominion over Christ. Death has no dominion over us. Spiritual death, emotional death, physical death, what you, you, you name it. Death has no dominion over us. Our life, if your life is hidden in Christ. If you have been, if you have trusted in the gift of salvation, a gift of grace from Jesus Christ, and you have received that gift, because it's nothing that you can earn, nothing that you can do, nothing that you can attend enough times and receive, it is a gift from God. You receive that gift and your life has been made new. Death has no hold on you so Colossians 3 says this if then if then you have been raised with Christ your resurrection verbiage here if you've been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on this earth so what happens to resurrection people our minds are no longer earthly oh my gosh i gotta control this i gotta get these things all in order you know worry about all these little minutiae paul says oh no 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 set your things on above it's been accomplished now get a heavenly get a resurrection perspective Focus on the things that are above. That doesn't mean that we just kind of walk around and just kind of, oh, it's all wonderful. Oh, because those kind of Christians drive me up a wall too. Oh, praise Jesus! Get <laughs> you know away. You're kind of weird. Here's a here's a pamphlet. <laughs> uh, you know, we we now are those people who know Christ, understand the power of the resurrection, and our our minds are fixed on Jesus Christ, who says, "Ha, yeah." You get it? Yeah. Oh, I get it. I'm fixed on your mission, your vision, your strength, your power. You're sufficient in all things. You are the one directing us. Oh, Jesus, I'm, my eyes are fixed on you. Now lead me, guide me. I'll follow you. And how, when we're fixed on him, our, our minds are set on these things of God, the things of Christ, everything changes. Your perspective on on a spouse. Your perspective on the church. Your perspective on your work. Your perspective on your debt. Your perspective on the... Keep on filling in the blanks. Everything changes. When you understand what Christ has done, the power of the resurrection, that these things are no longer primary, but they are at the bottom. Jesus is taking care of this. I'm trusting him fully. Everything changes. Everything changes. Setting our affections on Christ. Knowing Him fully is our resolution. To attain Christ. Think about that to know Him fully, to attain a fuller, more robust understanding of Jesus Christ, and to have this more rich and robust understanding of power, the power of the resurrection. We are finally people with backbones. People who have a voice, who have authority in this world, not of our own, but that has been given to us. We are people who have a precious gift, not to be hoarded, but the, the power of the resurrection is one that we need to share. And just say, you need life. And I'm praying that God is moving in your heart, your soul, in circumstances that the Spirit of God is moving and bubbling up inside you. You need life. Do you want to respond today? Do you want to respond to this, this free gift of love, this free gift of grace? This, God is so merciful for even allowing you to have a breath today. Ah, oh, because you deserve so much work. But let me share with you the gift of life. This is it. God in my life has turned me upside down. I am not the same man that I was. Marriage isn't the same. The way that I raise my kids is not the same. The way that I view who I am is not the same. You know my some of you know my story, childhood sexual abuse as an eight-year-old boy, that can ruin everything. That can destroy your whole perspective. And yes, there's days where Satan kind of does this little whisper in my ear, you know what I'm talking about? He says, uh, that's going to destroy your marriage. You're not good enough about But knowing Christ and the power of the resurrection, that is the point of reference. That was my Egypt. But Christ has brought me from death Where is your Egypt? We all have an Egypt. And if you think you don't, you're lying. We all have an Egypt where we are shackled. Maybe it's your ideology. In fact, it could even be your theology, it could be issues of your mind. It could be your hopes and your dreams that you are shackled to. And there you will die. It can be issues of family. It can be issues of work. Shackled and death. Jesus Christ came. He lived. And at the cross, those shackles were broken, and He took you from death. My hope and dream that we are resurrection people. And in our conversations, if somebody says, you know, I'm struggling with this, kind of your Egypt, isn't it? Can I remind you the power of the resurrection? Okay? Jesus died for that sin and that's not where we stop. He brought you to new life. So there's new life in your workplace. There's new life in your marriage, in your relationship with brothers, sisters, mom, dad. There's There's new life in theology. As your spiritual eyes open up and you go, oh, so much bigger and grander and beautiful and powerful. Everything just blown up. And we understand who Christ is. Matthew Henry, and this is my hope. He desired to win Christ. And an unspeakable gainer he would reckon himself if he had but an interest in Christ and his righteousness. And if Christ became his Lord and Savior, that I may win him. As a runner wins the prize. As a sailor makes the port is bound. May we strive to win Christ. The gain that grow deeper in Christ and His resurrection. Do I hear an amen? As we come to the table. I want you Seriously ponder your Egypt. What is your Egypt? Even this past week. Staying with that Egypt is a form of idolatry. Kind of like a comfort food. You keep going back to it, feels nice. It's safe. Even the wallowing, there's a little bit safety in wallowing. Israelites did it felt so much better back then and as you come to the table a meal that has been paid for by a risen Savior through his his body and his blood as you come to the table receive this meal the body broken for you The blood poured out for you. Thanks be to God. And remember the resurrection that is given to you.